chapter 7. Last week we saw in the year that King Uzziah died. Now we're going to look at his grandson tonight. And just the prophecy in the, one of the key passages in all scripture. As we look at uh, Isaiah chapter 7, we'll begin reading in verse 1. Now it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramallah, the king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem to war, make war against it, but could not prevail against it. And was told to the house of David, saying, Serious forces are deployed in Ephraim. So his heart and the heart of his people were moved as the trees of the woods are moved with the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out now to meet Isaiah, or to, excuse me, to go out now and meet Ahaz, you and Shir Jahub, your son. Now, how would you like to name your son that? Uh, and he says, at the end of the aqueduct by the upper pool of the highway of the fuller's field, and say to him, take heed and be quiet. Do not fear or be faint-hearted for these two stubs of smoking firebrands from the fierce, uh, for the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Ramaliah, um, because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Ramaliah uh, has plotted evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah and trouble it, and let us make a gap in its walls for ourselves and take a king and set a king over them, uh, the son of Tabal. Um, Thus saith the Lord, it shall not stand, nor shall it come to pass, for the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be broken, so that it will not be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of uh, Samaria is Remaliah's son. Uh, if you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. Moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself. For the Lord your God, ask it either in depth or in height above. But Ahaz says, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Then he said, Hear now, O house of David, it, it, it is a small thing for you. For, is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will you weary God also? Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Curds and honey he shall eat and he shall that he may know to refuse evil and choose good. For before the child shall know to refuse evil and choose good, the land that you dread will be broken of both her kings. The Lord will bring the king of Assyria upon you and your people and your father's house, days that uh, have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah. Now, Father, we pray that you would bless the reading and the preaching of your holy word this morning. May we realize this great prophecy that uh, you promised, Emmanuel, God with us, that you are with us today. You tell us where two or three are gathered together, you are in the midst of us. 
And so we thank you, Lord, that you promised that you would never, no, never, no, never forsake us. And so, Lord, we thank you that we can come and before your feet humbly bow and seek your face and want your ways, Lord, in our lives. Forgive us of our sins. Cleanse us from the unrighteousness. Expose, Lord, in our lives the things this morning. Shine your radiant light into our souls and change us, Lord, into your glorious image. May we not be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our minds that we may prove that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you had a problem this uh, past week, and it was just overwhelming you, and it was something that uh, was power over life and death, and I came to you as a prophet, which I'm not, but, uh, and I said, just ask anything of God, what would you ask? What would you ask of God? Or would you ask him at all? And here we see that uh, we have Ahaz, and the setting is that Ahaz, of course, the grandson of Uzziah, uh, he was a wicked king. He was, if you go back to the book of 2 Kings in chapter, 20, uh, chapter 16, and then in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, you get uh, his history. And he would go up to Rezin, the king of Syria, and he brought back a lot of the gods and a lot of the garbage from uh, all the false gods. In fact, he got so wrapped up in the false gods of Syria that he even sacrificed one of his sons to the god of Molech. He passed through the fire, as it calls it, the, the idea of taking that bull and, and putting the, uh, 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 your child on that and let him fry right there in a, in a public worship service. Can you imagine that? I mean, folks, we're getting almost that bad in America today. But just we're sacrificing our kids for the, on the altar of, of um, convenience today. But here we see that, I mean, the gods of this world, he was, then he, another thing he has is known about before is he brought back a sundial. And that was kind of, a, and it's mentioned there um, and, and uh, those chapters. And that sundial became just pretty well uh, world-renowned. And uh, actually, it was a, a big, huge one right there in the middle of Jerusalem. But uh, he, he, he was a man, mostly, he was known for the defeats. He and uh, Pekah and uh, all the gods. Now, here you have the different, God, the different people mentioned here. You have Uzziah. Rezin was the king of Syria. That would be to the north. And then Pekah uh, was the son of Ramaliah. Now, Pekah was, had overthrown uh, the king before him, and now he's on the throne. And you'll notice the, that the, through this passage how that God will not even use his name. He just says, the son of Ramaliah. Well, who's Ramaliah? We don't even know. He wasn't a king. And so uh, whenever, you know, it's like sometimes my, uh, my wife and I, you ever get a point in your life where you didn't want to own your kids? Sweetheart, your kids are acting. They're not my kids, they're your kids. You know, it's one of those things back and forth. You ever had that problem? None of you ever, just my kids, I guess. But uh, they're getting, you know, uh, uh, the Lord just disowned him. He, he wouldn't even name him. He, he said, he wouldn't, even, he wouldn't even call his name. He just said, he's the son of Ramaliah. And so, and it's a, it's a sign of contempt whenever you won't use a person's name. Hey, you, I got a name. What is it? You know, you know. and so there, so we see that name is, uh, as Andrew Carnegie says, is one of the most precious sounds a person will hear is the sound of their own name. 
But here the Lord wouldn't even use Pekah's name because he had such a contempt for this wicked king and all the kings of the northern tribes. If you know your um, Old Testament history, you know that after Solomon, there was a great division and the northern ten tribes or the northern ten lands went with uh, 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 and formed a whole new country and they fought back and forth for the rest of their existence together. But we see here that the Lord says that's coming to an end. Uh, Pekah actually is going to be the next to the last of the kings of Israel before they are scattered to the four winds, and we call them the lost ten tribes of Israel. But we see that uh, they, that <clears throat> Pekah now is a sign is just like today. They all kind of get, gang up against Israel or against Judah, and so we have Pekah, and he gets with uh, with uh, Rezin, the king of Syria. And so, I mean, he had no problems with him. It was a desecration for Ahaz to come back and bring all those things to the temple. But Pekah and, and all the kings of Israel, they'd been that way for centuries. And so we see that there was nothing new. But uh, they had a problem. And that was there was a great uh, world empire that was coming on the scene. And they were, had expansionist ideas. And that was a guy named Teglath Pileser, who was one of the great conquerors of the world, and he was an Assyrian. And so they said, how can we, you know, we're going to have to figure out how to, to combat this person. And so we see that the son of Ramaliah, they went up to Jerusalem. And so they said, you know, we're going to overthrow the king of Israel, or king of Judah, and that way we can have the whole land and we could form our own big United Republic or whatever. Now, the only bad thing about that shows you just how far Pekah was. And if he destroyed the king of Israel, what was he destroying? He was destroying the line of the, tri- or the, of the promise that God gave to Abraham and then to David that out of them would come the Messiah. And so this was satanic. This was something where, sounds like today, uh, from the river to the sea, we're going to push them out, right? We're going to destroy any hope of Israel's existence. So this is nothing new under the sun. It's always been like that. And so we see that they say, make war against it, and we're going to prevail against it. But they could not prevail against it because Jerusalem was such a strong city that it took a mighty army. And there was only two armies that destroyed it. And that was the Babylonians and then later on the Persians. I mean, it was just two, excuse me, the Babylonians and then the Romans. But uh, we see that, uh, that uh, it was, a lot of people came up against it, but they were never able to take it totally. And so we see, but, uh, and it was told the house of David, and when they heard this, instead of saying, okay, you know, the Lord is for us, they are so far outside uh, that, uh, that he has us so far outside, they're not even praying to God anymore. And so I like this description. They shook like uh, the trees of the woods blowing in the wind. That's scary, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, when you're shaking so bad that you can, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty big fright. And so they had all this going on. But then we see the message that the Lord has. That he, then the Lord came to Isaiah. He says, go now to meet Ahaz. And he says, and take your son and I won't even try to pronounce his name again, but it means the remnant shall return. As you'll see that the Lord uses many times the prophet's children and their family to make a point. 
And we see that uh, later on with Hosea. He's got a couple of children, and one of them is called not my people. You know, In other words, uh, Israel's not my people anymore. I'm going to get rid of them. And so uh, we see that uh, he uses this son, which means a remnant shall return. In other words, uh, God, I'm not, through with, I'm not through with Israel. And so he takes him, and he takes him to the foot. He won't, he won't take, go to the, to, and confront him in his throne. No, that since this man is afraid, and this is, uh, and of course he is, uh, and uh, Ahaz now is with his court. And of course, whenever a king moves him, it's like a president. They've got a whole entourage with them. Uh, and so he is now going to be out on the highway. And I want you to go meet him. Now, Isaiah was such a stature that everybody knew who Isaiah was. So this was going to be one of those confrontations like Elijah had with, uh, with Ahab and others. But this is uh, where the Lord says, okay, this man is such a fool and such a, a coward, I'm not even going to acknowledge him on his court. Although he is because of the covenant I have with David and the, the Messiah will come. Someone has said that the best thing that uh, Ahaz ever did was give us Hezekiah, one of the best kings. You know, he gave us a, you know, a son named Hezekiah, who was a good king. But here we see that... Uh, Ahaz was such a coward and such a weakling that the Lord wouldn't even, didn't, he didn't acknowledge him, nor would he even call Ahaz or, or Pekah by name. The northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, he both of them, he really had contempt for them at this time. So he said, go to the, uh, to the highway, to the fuller's field. That's, uh, what's a fuller? Anybody know what a fuller is? That's, a, that's where they wash clothes. So if you were a fuller, you were a washerman or a washerwoman. And so, uh, so we see that he says, and say to them, take heed and be quiet. In other words, uh, calm down. And do not fear or be faint-hearted. For these two stubs, these two uh, burned out old firebrands, I mean, they, they have nothing. In fact, uh, you don't know this, uh, he has. But, uh, but Pekah is going to be just overthrown himself in just a few days. But they're just a bunch of, uh, I mean, you look at them, they're so strong. But to me, you know, they're nothing. And uh, we know that uh, later on, Assyria, uh, what did it take the Lord to do to, uh, to destroy 185,000 people? All he had to do was speak, right? Or wave his hand, whatever. And so compared to me, if you will just stick with me, I can take care of your problems, Ahaz. And so their fierce anger, they're nothing. Because notice in verse 5, Syria and Ephraim, the son of Ramaliah, notice he won't call him Pekah, has plotted evil against you. So I know all this. Uh, Let us go against Judah and trouble it. And uh, we're going to try to set up somebody. I know all their plans. Nothing is hidden from me under the sun. I know what's going on, and I know your problems. Aren't you glad God knows your problems better than you do? God already knows all the people that want to attack you this coming week. God already knows all those things that are going on in your life. He knows the problems that are there. He's from, he knows the end from the beginning. But notice he says very quickly, it shall not stand. They're not gonna, they will not do this. Not because of you, Ahaz, but because of my promise to your father, to your father David. You don't deserve it, 
But because you are the king, your line will not be destroyed. And folks, uh, God has made a promise to Israel. And Israel's not going to be destroyed. Don't worry about Israel. I mean, yes, I, I fear for I mean, individuals in Israel. Babies cut off, heads cut off. I mean, that is vicious stuff. But they will not destroy Israel. And so I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but uh, God has made a promise. And so here we, uh, we, so we see here, it shall not stand. They're not going to make it, nor shall it come to pass. For the, the head of Syria is Damascus. So we know that Damascus is the capital and raisin. Within 65 years, Ephraim is going to cease to exist. It's going to be broken. Now, people have problems with that, but then notice what he says here. So shall... It will not be a people anymore. In other words, they will be totally without, without. Now, within 20 years, Israel or northern Israel, the northern ten tribes uh, are going to come in or the Assyrians are going to come in and wipe them out. And they're going to spread those people all over the world. That's the lost ten tribes. But there's still a few of those people there. And over the next 45 years after that, we're going to see that uh, the kings, both uh, Sennacherib as well as Tegelath, Pleasar, and Sargon, all those were the, the succession of kings of Assyria, they're going to move people in and out of that area. And they're going to, it'll get to the point within 45 years after that where you won't even know that uh, the remnant who was there are so intermarried that they're not even identified as Jews anymore. What are they called? Remember that area? Just north of it, what is it called? What was it called in the New Testament? Samaria. Because they were half-breeds if they were Jews at all. And so this was uh, all part of uh, Israel's history. And so they will, within 65 years, within two generations, that, that whole area that you're so afraid of right now won't even be able to be identified as Israelites. They'll be totally wiped out. Now, they're going to be wiped out nationally within 20 years, but in 45, within 65 years, they won't, you won't even know any Jews live there or any Israelites live there. By the way, uh, the reason I tried to keep oh, the Israelites rather than Jews, because a Jew is not, uh, the Jew is a shortened form of the tribe of Judah. And they weren't called Jews, and you'll notice in the Old Testament, they are not called Jews until after the Babylonian captivity, after the Lord, after Nebuchadnezzar with the Babylonians come in and wipe out Jerusalem. And then they are taken in captivity. It's kind of interesting because God says, I'm going to wipe out those northern tribes that, of course, we know a lot of them move south during, during those centuries of apostasy. And so the tribes are still being able to be identified. But as far as a nation, they, uh, they were wiped out. But, uh, but as, the, the, as Judah was called, what happened when the Babylonians came in, if you remember Daniel, remember Ezekiel and others, the, the Babylonians took the Jews and put them in little enclaves around the empire. And guess what? They stayed together, and then they were able to come back after 70 years and settle back in the years and the, and the place, and they were called Jews after that. It's kind of interesting how God did that, isn't it? Now, with the northern ten tribes spread out all over the place, but he couldn't do that with Jews because they are God's people, and from them was going to come the Messiah. And this is what we're going to see in this passage here. 
And so we see that uh, Ephraim is going to uh, be passed away. And notice in verse 9, and the head of Jerusalem is Samaria, or Ephraim is Samaria, which is the capital. Ephraim was the northern ten tribes. It was the most dominant tribe, so it was called Samaria, just like Judah was the most dominant tribe, and it was called, the, the southern was called Judah. And the head of Samaria is Ramaliah's son, Pekah. Uh, if you will not believe, surely you will not be established. I know everything is going on, and if you'll just believe me, I can establish you and make you a great king if you'll just settle down and listen to me. Ahaz. But Ahaz was so wrapped up in his godless idolatry and his politics that he was trusting in his ingenuity. Moreover, so we noticed then, moreover, the Lord again came to Ahaz through Isaiah. said, ask for a sign for yourself. Ask me anything. Ask me and I'll show you what I can do. And that'll be a sign that, but Ahaz says, wait a minute. If I ask for a sign in front of all these people out here on the highway, and there's a big crowd around, then I'm going to have to acknowledge Jehovah as God. And I've got all these, and that means I'm going to have to, they see that God delivers us like he has done supposedly in the past, and that's the way I'm thinking, he's thinking. Then, uh, then all of a sudden, I might have to give up some of these other gods that I have. And boy, I'm having a good time with some of these gods. And a lot of other of my people, boy, we can get together and have all these orgies and everything else with the gods of religion and all that. Boy, and, but we'll have to give that up if we acknowledge the God of heaven. And so, but notice he knows the word of God. He knows Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6, where he says, Thou shalt not, uh, uh, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. In other words, he, he knows how to quote scripture. And yet, he is such a hypocrite like so many politicians are. Because he was, uh, is he not tempting God when he brings idols in and puts right in the temple? Is he not tempting God when God told him not to sacrifice kids to, uh, to false idols, Molech? Is he not, sac- uh, is he not uh, uh, tempting God when he is defying God, the very God, and, uh, and persecuting the, pre- the priests and the prophets? Is he not? And so Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah later on, and he said, Call upon me, and I will show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. But in order to call upon God, you've got to realize who he is. And they that come unto God must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. But in order to call upon God, you've got to acknowledge him and that he is worthy to be worshipped. He's worthy to be praised. And Isaiah, or excuse me, Ahaz, is, you know, uh, I, you know I don't really want to you know, acquiesce to this God that, you know, that I've defied all my life. I mean, I want his blessings, but I'm not going to ask for a sign because I don't want people to identify me. You know, I, you know, I can quote scripture. I'm a pretty good guy. But, uh, you know, when I talk about God, am I talking about, uh, uh, am I talking about Murdoch or, or am I talking about, uh, am I talking about Jehovah? And so, you know, I, I don't really want to say something and then people see that the God of heaven that this preacher that I don't like remember back in chapter 6 you're going to preach to people they're not going to listen to you they're going to reject you 
And uh, he's not a very popular guy anyway. And who is he to come out and to tell me what I can do? He's just a bunch of holy rollers that uh, follow him. And so he's not even a popular guy. And boy, the popular people are with me. But if I recognize God, Jehovah, then that starts giving credence to people. This, this firebrand preacher and all the priests and everybody else have been rebuking me for all my reign. So he says, you know, I can't do that. How many times have I talked to people about the things of the Lord? They're in all kinds of trouble. Well, let's turn to the Lord and let's call upon him. Well, I, I want to, but you know, preacher, you know, I've had, I think of a couple of people. If I do, then I know already that I'll have to give up my life. I mean, I think or give up. Well, if I acknowledge God, that means I know he's going to call me to do something. I'm going to have to give up my, my, friend, my, bar, my friends at the bar. I had one guy tell me, you know, if I get saved... As you and you come and you, I, I, you want you talk to me and you're good to me, but if I get saved, I'll have to give up my job. I said, "What's your job?" He says, "I drive a beer truck." I said, "I don't know if he would or not, but you know, there again, I didn't tell him that. You know, if God's telling him that, you know, he had to give up something. But if I acknowledge God, I might have to give up something. And this is where he has us. I, I don't want to give up all this fun that I've been having. And by the way, I've got resin." I mean, excuse me, I got the king of Assyria. Boy, he's a big guy. And I've already given him a lot of the temple treasures and all kinds of things. He's promised he's going to help me. Boy, oh boy. When you ask the devil for help, you can expect his help, folks. But he, you can expect his, it's going to be on his terms. And so we see that, yes, uh, uh, we see, know that... Uh, Sennacherib later on, Teglath Pileser, and then Sennacherib, they came in and they wiped out uh, those northern tribes, those two people that were against him, Rezin and and then uh, Ephraim. He wiped them out. That was great. But if you remember, during Hezekiah's time, what did he do? He came down and destroyed all the cities of of Judah except for Jerusalem. So it was on his terms. But what a bad, what bad terms they were. And so we see that, uh, and so he said, here now, house of Israel. Uh, and so notice how that, uh, uh, that now Isaiah in verse 13 says, here now, O house of David. Notice he, now he's talking right past Ahaz. It's like, have you ever listened to them on the radio, on television, and they talk back and forth and you realize they're not talking to one another. They're talking to you out there in the audience. And they, they don't even answer one another. They're talking to you. And so they'll say all kinds of outlandish things. And that's why sometimes you can't really believe that. And Well, I don't believe it because they know better. But they're talking to people who don't know better. You ever have that? Well, here you see that, uh, that Isaiah knows better. And he's talking to people uh, that should know better. And he talks right past the king. And he's not addressing the king anymore. But he says, Hear now, O house of David. Is it a small thing for you to worry uh, uh, men? But will you worry my God also? Notice he talked about your God in verse 10. But now my God. You're worrying my God, who if you are true Israelites, he's your God. What God do you worship? And what does it mean when you see on the coins, in God we trust? And so 
he's my God. I know who I'm worshiping. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't. And it's not the God Jehovah we're seeing worshiped anymore. But to notice, therefore, uh, will you worry my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Now, he's talking to the whole house of David again. And he's ignoring the king Ahaz because his kingdom, he's already promised, it will not be established. So you're going to die pretty quickly, Ahaz. So I'm talking about, I'm talking about the future of Israel now. I'm talking about uh, what's going to happen. And I'm going to give you a promise. And he says, uh, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. This is one of those cryptic prophecies where it didn't really make a lot of sense at the time. But here we see the promise that the Lord had made back to Eve that her seed would bruise the serpent's heel. Women don't have seed. And so we're talking again about a virgin. And notice a virgin shall, uh, shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now you say, well, uh, what does that mean? Uh, and you say, well, I've never heard God called Emmanuel. Well, you know, a king has several different names. Anybody know who Jedediah was in Scripture? Very famous. One of the greatest kings that Israel ever had. You don't know who Jedediah was? That's the name that means beloved of God. And that was one of the names for Solomon. So he had a lot of different names. You know, how, many king, how many names does King Charles have? You know, they, you know, they'll say you know, all these different kings all have different things. And they mean different things. Solomon means peace. And uh, Jedediah means beloved of God. So he had a lot of different names that described the Lord. You'll see that again in Isaiah 9.6. We'll see that later on. But uh, turn with me over to Matthew and we'll see, and isn't it interesting that the book of Matthew begins with the kings of Israel. And it tells us from that that a king is going to come, but then it skips over, uh, and it, it goes from the men to the women, and, uh, or to the woman. And we see that, for, uh, that in chapter 1 of Matthew, we see that he says, uh, so all this was done, of course, and if you remember the story, how that uh, she conceived and she bore the son, then Herod tried to wipe him out and all those different things that were going to happen. But it says in verse 22, so this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord, by the prophet, who? Isaiah, saying, behold, the virgin will be with child, will conceive, and bear a son, and they should call, shall call his name, What? Emmanuel, and then the Bible identifies who, what that means, which means, which is translated, what? God with us. And that's one of the key, and notice that that's the very first chapter of the very first, first book in the New Testament. And the virgin birth is the basis for the rest of the New Testament. In the book, uh, if turn with me over to the book of John, if you, and if you, uh, in book John chapter one, and if you know the passage, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. 
All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In other words, uh, if you see it and God didn't make it, then you're, it's an illusion to you. It's, in him was life, and that life was the light of men, and that light shines in the darkness. All through the book of uh, John, why did he call himself? The light of the world. I am the bread of life. Life. I am the way, the truth, the life. I am, you know, I am that I am. In other words, I'm Jehovah. But then in verse 14, and the word became flesh. And what did it do? It dwelt among us. Let's use some inductive. So we get the definition here for the term used in Matthew. What was Matthew's term? Emmanuel. And we see the definition in John 1.14. God with us. The word became flesh. The word was God. And he dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory full of grace and truth. I am a witness of that. And later on in his, his epistle, he says, that which we have seen, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, our hands have handled of the word of life. He dwelt with us. I leaned on his chest. I know who I'm talking about. And all the miracles that John did was to prove that Jesus was the virgin-born son of God. And the climax of the book is when Doubting Thomas comes to him and says, unless I see him physically, then I won't believe. And when he saw the Lord physically, then what did he say? And this is the climax of the whole book of John. What did, uh, what did Thomas say? My Lord and my God, the virgin-born Son of God. In the whole Gospels, and folks, if you leave out the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus, you're leaving out uh, uh, Genesis 3.15. You're, you're leaving out uh, Isaiah 7.14 because they're all connected. And there's a whole lot more passages that uh, we can go into. But Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, supernaturally. Because he promised it back in the Garden of Eden that through the seed of the woman, the world would be blessed. And then we see as a progress. And here we see uh, Isaiah saying that a virgin shall conceive. Now, it's very interesting. He's talking about 400, well, about 500 years into the future. And yet the promise was that it was going to come through Ahaz's line. And, but he's talking past Ahaz because Ahaz is so far outside that God has to replace him. He's not going to be established. And so we see... Now, as we turn back to Isaiah chapter 7 then, we see that his name shall be called Emmanuel. Verse 15, curds and honey shall he eat, simple food, that he may know to refuse evil and choose good. We know that God, that uh, he, he increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 52. Isn't it inter interesting? Even Luke, uh, he doesn't use the name Emmanuel but he's the doctor who gives us the primary story of the virgin birth. If anybody should know and be able to confirm that she was a virgin, it would be who? Luke. It's interesting. All the way through the Bible, we see that it's affirmed and reaffirmed that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. And so we see, but he says, and before the child, now this is another cryptic thing in verse 16. Before the child shall know evil and choose good. In other words, he'll be very young. The land which you dread will be, will be forsaken of both her kings. 
It's kind of a double entendre here. First of all, the land that you dread, in other words, Syria and Ephraim, both of them are going to be wiped out. But then also, by the time that the Lord Jesus came, what happened? Both there was no king in Israel and there was no king in Judah anymore. In fact, I was talking to the men yesterday about this. I read, read an interesting footnote in history. Josephus, and I've talked about him many times, he was a Jew, an unconverted Jew, and he, and said that he could tell you some very descriptive things of Israel, but we never see that he was ever, he really knew the Lord God. Uh, he, he described in, in tremendous detail the destruction of Israel, of uh, Judah and Jerusalem, by the Romans. And someone said, here he is a Jew, and he could talk, and he was on the, he was on the Roman army side. Boy, it sounds like crazy things that happen today, isn't it? We got a lot of Jews in America today that are against Israel. It's amazing. But uh, uh, Josephus, they said that he watched his people be crucified and didn't shed a tear. And yet he was, we use him, he's very reliable as a, as a history uh, person. And he said that uh, the rabbis back in the days of Herod, remember Herod was, the, was appointed by Caesar to be the king of the Jews. Herod was not a Jew. And so all of a sudden, the rabbis were saying, wait a minute. Uh, that, and if you go back to, uh, to Genesis chapter 49, it says, the scepter shall not depart out of Israel. Now, a scepter is what a king has that gives them power over life and death. Remember Esther? I'm going to go in, and if he doesn't extend the scepter, I'm dead. So the scepter was, the, the, he was the Supreme Court. And so all of a sudden, we don't have the scepter anymore. We can't put it, the Roman law will not let us put anybody to death. And remember, that was their big frustration with the Lord Jesus. They couldn't put him to death. They, they would have killed him. In a, they would have killed him before he ever got to court, if they could have. And yet, we see that uh, when and, and Josiah says, or excuse me, uh, the historian tells us, history tells us, that when he, the Jews were worrying about that, that Josephus says in Jerusalem, or in, there's a little town north of Jerusalem where a child was born. And what was his name? No, excuse me, he was the way he would live, but a mother conceived. During the days of Herod, who had the scepter, but there was one with a greater scepter who came down to Bethlehem and bore a child. Isn't it interesting how the God had it all together? And did Israel have a king? No. Both kings were gone. But the line was still there. And that's the reason you begin with Matthew. And you begin with that kingly line. And then you go to Luke chapter 3 and you'll see another line. And I want to make sure that both male and both the the, uh, the kingly line goes through Joseph. But then the godly line or the line of, of Mary goes through Nathan, who was a son of David, not of Solomon. It's kind of interesting there. But were they both from, but did both come from uh, David's veins? Yes. So it's interesting how that, uh, that God brought them together. 
But that she, but here we see that God, before in His marvelous foreknowledge, in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, Galatians chapter three. And so we have a Savior. Now you can either believe it or not. But the Lord says, whosoever comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Call upon me and see if I will answer you. That's the call today to a sinner, isn't it? Call upon me. But if you call upon me, you must realize that I'm God. And if I'm God, that means I'm worthy to be worshipped and to be praised. That means you might have to do some changing. That's where your repentance comes in. Are you going to follow me? Are you going to follow the way of the world? Ahaz, you're not going to be established unless you turn back to me. And Ahaz didn't turn back to God. He's probably in a, as far as I know, we don't see if he ever did. He's probably in a Christless eternity today, suffering because of his rejection of Almighty God. I, I give to you today blessings and cursings. Choose life, the book of Deuteronomy says. Choose life. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. There's two directions. Either acknowledge him, and if you'll acknowledge him, he says, to as many as received him, to them gave you the power or the authority to be called children of God. He accepted you into his family. But if you don't but if he that hath not the Son hath not life. In other words, you will spend a Christless eternity in hell without the Lord. Your way will not be a Oh, go ahead and have fun while you have it. Go ahead and have all your orgies and all the uh, political alliances and everything else you want. But uh, your life's coming to an end pretty quickly. It's but a vapor. It's appointed unto man once to die, to die, and after this, the judgment. And one day, all of us are going to be judged by an almighty God. And the one criteria is, do you know, have you been washed by the blood of the Lamb? That sinless child of God that came from a virgin who died on the tree in order for you and me to be saved. Do you know him? I hope you do. If we know him, do we not acknowledge him as God? And forsaking all others, turn to him for our salvation, our sustenance, and our blessings. Or are we trusting in politics of the age? Are we trusting in popularity of the age, the money? Oh, Lord, keep us near the cross. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for what, it can, what the power of your word does in our lives. That we can be established. We can, where our feet and our lives are built on the rock, the rock of Jesus Christ. On Jesus Christ, the rock I stand. All other ground is shifting sand. We thank you, Lord, that, be, that you, the plan of the ages, was to come to earth, to die, that we can live through you. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for the salvation you offer to who will believe. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.